everyone, Griffin Marie here, and welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation today will focus on what moved markets this week, focusing on fixed income performance today, including CIO's outlook for the asset class in the months ahead, and of course, we will preview next week. So I am excited to be joined today by Frank Saleo and Barry McAlinden, Senior Credit Strategist from the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Frank, Barry, it's great to be back with you once again, and looking forward to our conversation today. Hey, great. Good morning and happy Friday. Happy Friday to you guys, too. So, Frank, Barry, I'd like to kick this off with some of the more notable market events this week. What do you have for color on us on that front? Sure. Uh, I'll kick it off and then um, hand it over to Barry. But I would just say, looking back on this week specifically, overall, it was a, a fairly quiet week, all things considered. Uh, even though the S&P 500 did close at a, a new record last night, uh, the index is really only up by 0.2% for the week. We'll probably add to those gains today. But overall, I'd, I'd say it, it was a g- generally a, a, a tranquil and quiet week from a market standpoint. Um, from, a, from a data standpoint, a lot of the data that we received this week kind of confirmed the, uh, the, the, the trend and confirmed really the Fed's uh, stance and the Fed view that any inflation that we will be seeing and that we are seeing today will be transitory. And as a result, they can keep their policy as is. And that's really that has really been the key for investors over the last several weeks, and certainly this week was no exception. Given how important Fed policy has been to the markets over the past year, that remains a major topic. So uh, employment data and inflation data remain two key areas of focus because those are the main areas that inform Fed policy. And so when it comes to inflation, for example, the main questions really are how tolerant will the Fed be? how high will inflation go? How long will those inflation trends or those higher inflation trends last? Will they be transitory or longer lasting? And secondly, when it comes to employment, what are the trends there in, in, in labor supply and in wages? Now, last Friday, we did get the May jobs report. I know Brian Rose highlighted the May jobs report on this call uh, on this podcast last week. But one of the key uh, metrics out of the May jobs report was average hourly earnings, which rose by 0.5% month over month, even though a disproportionately large amount of uh, jobs added during the month were lower paying jobs that, that actually pulled that average lower. But still, even with that disproportionate number of lower paying jobs being added, the average hourly earnings rose, still rose by 0.5% month over month, which is a pretty sizable uh, increase. So wages are rising and they're rising in order to bring workers back into the workforce. And we got further evidence of this potential labor shortage this week when two monthly surveys were released on Tuesday. We had the NFIB small business survey for May. Uh, I think that's the National Federation of Independent Businesses. Uh, That survey for May showed that 48% of small businesses have currently have unfilled job openings. So nearly just just shy of half of all small businesses in the U.S. uh, can't find workers. They've got unfilled job openings, and that's an increase from 44% in April. 
And then we had the JOLTS, the Job Openings and Labor Turnover Survey, showing that job openings jumped to 9.3 million from 8.3 million in the prior month. And personally, I've been seeing all sorts of news stories uh, on the news and and, uh, in the news feed about uh, shortages of TSA agents at the airports, shortages of lifeguards at the beach and the pool. So the key question for markets will be, will the, the labor shortages fade in the months ahead as issues around childcare, around in classroom schools, Start to fade. Will will shortages fade as enhanced unemployment benefits dissipate in the months ahead? A lot of uh, states are already scaling back on those. So those will be the key questions. But so far, when it comes to uh, uh, the employment data this week, it kind of confirmed the Fed narrative. We also did get some information on inflation, and uh, I think I'll turn over to uh, Barry for for the data there. Thanks, Frank. Just to elaborate a little bit on the CPI release on Thursday this week, it did not disappoint in terms of the strength where we had headline CPI up 0.6% month over month. And on an annual year over year basis, the reading was 5% for the headline CPI. So that was up from April's also strong number of 4.2%. And that was the highest reading uh, since 2008 on the headline. And the core CPI index registered its highest reading since 1992. It was up 3.8% year over year. But as Frank uh, mentioned, um, you know, the transitory nature of the spike in inflation was evident in the fact that you had a few items really push up the overall number. I know specifically when you look at things like used cars and airfares, you know, that's equivalent to only about 14% of the core CPI index but it accounted for almost two-thirds of the increase that was witnessed in May. Um, pretty astonishing. Uh, used cars rose another 7.3% month over month uh, after rising 10% in May. Uh, so really you know, seeing some pressure in the used car market based on some of the chip shortages that are occurring in the, in the new car market. So again, I don't think it's the inflation debate is, is clearly uh, not completely over, even though the market reaction is buying into the transitory uh, nature uh, of the price increases. And and that's our view in CIO as well. You know, we do think that uh, likely the peak reading in CPI, you know, is behind us uh, this week. And over time, we're likely to see more muted uh, price um, data occur. You know, but that said, it, it just certainly ties into Fed policy, uh, which I know we'll talk about a little bit uh, later in the call too. But, uh, you know, it definitely, um, you know, bridges the gap where the, you know the Fed may be exceeding its two percent inflation target, which is it, something that it wants to do. Um, and again, that would open up the possibility of uh, further tightening of conditions by the Fed. You know, once the labor market is fully recovered. So, you know, it seems we've got the hot reading on, on CPI, um, and then again going forward, we'll continue to look at monthly uh, labor market indicators to see if the Fed. Uh, that, that meets the Fed's you know, substantial further progress test, um, you know, for tightening policy. Well, guys, terrific summary uh, of what was uh, yet another eventful week on Wall Street and on the macroeconomic calendar. But as we head towards the end of the second quarter here, how have fixed income markets been performing generally, and also in the areas that each of you focus on specifically? Well, fixed income markets are performing a lot better so far in the second quarter, and that's really a function of um, the really decline in interest rates that we've seen since they peaked out, you know, in March. 
of Treasury yields and look at the 10-year Treasury, it is at the lower end of its recent range since March, uh, trading at, at one 1.45% uh, currently. Um, but it, it's been in that range. And when you have a lower volatility, range-bound rate environment, we've also seen credit spreads exhibit, exhibit similar behavior, uh, moving sideways to, to, to tighter. So it's been a, a constructive environment, you know, for credit, uh, especially since, you know, the fundamental backdrop remains uh, strong uh, when you look at um, measures of economic growth, earnings growth, and certainly policy support, which clearly remains, uh, still remains accommodative. So overall, um, we do think that uh, the environment remains, you know, conducive for credit. But that said, the way that we're characterizing the current environment is that we are early cycle in terms of general fundamentals, but late cycle in terms of valuation. And what we mean by that is we still think that the fundamental environment, you know, should be supportive for uh, risk assets like credit. When you look at default rates declining, when you look at measures of issuer upgrades, exceeding downgrades within the high yield bond market, um, you know, all that points uh, in a positive direction. But when you look at valuation as measured by credit spreads, they are historically tight, and it's really across both investment grade as well as high yield and even senior loans. You're at the tight end of, of ranges, so there's not much buffer left for spreads, we think, to, to, to tighten and counteract um, the potential headwind that you'd face when interest rates rise. And we still think that we're, we're going to be in a rising rate environment uh, over time, uh, especially over the second half of the year, you know, once we continue to see um, the, the economic recovery um, you know, really manifest itself. And then also um, once we get more indication that the Fed you know, will be um, removing some of its accommodation. So we think interest rates will be the, the biggest factor for fixing investors to uh, really navigate during the second half. And for that reason, you know, really monitoring duration positioning, we think is going to be the key to um, providing some more stable um, performance, you know, over that time period. Yeah. I mean, and just to jump in, Griff, I mean, to, to Barry's point, amplifying a, a couple of points that he made, the, the second quarter w has really been a much better environment, a much constructive environment, much more constructive environment, as Barry noted, uh, relative to the first quarter. In the first quarter, we saw a dramatic move higher in interest rates over a, a very brief period of time. There was a rapid move specifically in February and March in the 10-year Treasury yields, for example, and that kind of wreaked a little bit of havoc in fixed income markets in the first quarter. But in contrast, the second quarter has been characterized by much more stability, uh, range-bound 10-year Treasury yields, for example. Uh, we've, we've even moved to the lower end of that range and slightly broken below it uh, this week. But uh, So that's the good news. The bad news is where do we go from here, particularly given that valuations are now stretched. And taking a deeper look at preferreds, for example, preferreds like like uh, like other sectors, you know, have, have been performing very well in the second quarter. We're up 2% uh, so far for the second quarter, 2.5% year to date, but valuations have gotten very tight, which is true of all fixed income sectors, as, as Barry said. Uh, preferred yield premiums absorbed most of the rate move that we saw in the first quarter. That's the good news. But the bad news is there's now less capacity in preferred yield premiums to absorb higher rates from here. Plus, preferred yields have actually declined over the past few weeks, exacerbating the valuation 
issue. And in the latest edition of the Fixed Income Strategist, which uh, was just published yesterday and Barry and I contributed to, uh, the, the title of the preferred section, uh, the preferred security section in the Fixed Income Strategist is entitled In the Eye of the Hurricane. And uh, what I'm referencing there is we had this disruption in the first quarter. Now we're in this period of calm. At some point, interest rates will take a leg higher. But, you know, the first question there is, will it be a gradual move higher or will it be a spike like we saw in February and March? The second question is, when will it happen? So we're in the eye of the hurricane right now. The eye of the hurricane can stick around for a while. But um, on the other hand, we could see a pullback particularly when it comes to the preferred market in the second half of the year, as markets anticipate and and as markets try to adjust to shifting Fed policy. And Griffin, I would just say that's that's the common thread throughout this conversation is, is the Fed is really driving the bus uh, when it comes to all of these issues. Yeah, absolutely, Frank. I would agree with you there. Now, putting this all together, guys, what's CIO's overall market outlook and what are some of the events to look for in the week ahead? Well, I'll just kick it off real quick. Um, in the backdrop, the president's infrastructure plan remains on investors' minds. How large will it be? What will the spending be? And how it will it be paid for? There will be tax increases associated with that, for sure. But what exactly uh, are the details there? That's still being negotiated in Washington, and that will remain a focus in the weeks and months ahead. Um, from from a uh, positioning standpoint, um, we expect... Uh, rates to, to have this upward bias, as Barry mentioned. We expect that that reflation trade, therefore, to persist, so we continue to favor equities over credit, particularly equities that have a cyclical bias, uh, uh, sectors like financials, energies, and industrials. Um, and then finally, when it comes to next week's data, we'll have things like retail sales, uh, PPI, uh, which will give us some more insight uh, into inflation once again hot topic uh, in the markets uh, right now. And uh, probably most importantly, we'll get the next FOMC meeting. And uh, investors will be really focused on the messaging there. Will the uh, will the Fed still characterize uh, the, the, the time in which we get to substantial further progress as being some time? It will take some time yet. Uh, that's that's the, the messaging that will be uh, focused, uh, the, the part of the messaging that will be a major focus next Wednesday at that FOMC meeting. Barry, you probably have some, some uh, other items. Absolutely. Yeah, just to elaborate on the FOMC, I, and I totally agree. I think that's going to be the, the big event next week that investors will focus on. Uh, that's one where the Fed does release its quarterly economic forecast as well as the dot plot. So it, it does appear um, likely inevitable, you know, you'd see the Fed increase their inflation forecast uh, in that uh, in that release. And, you know, the dot plot would be interesting to see if uh, it could get revised to show expectations for rate hikes to start in 2023, uh, you know, where the previous dot plot indicated uh, beyond that, that time frame. So we'll be looking at uh, those additional pieces from the Fed meeting. But certainly uh, talk about uh, taper, I, I know, will likely come up quite uh, frequently in, in Jade Powell's uh, Q&A. Uh, the Fed chair, you know, has been very uh, careful and deliberate in his language. Uh, but when you think about the potential time frame for tapering their uh, mortgage and treasury purchases, I think right now the market, as well as CIL, we think that that will commence sometime early next year. But the Fed chair... Powell, you know, has stated that 
um, you know, he will be talking well in advance uh, of any actual decision to taper. So when you kind of walk back the time frame, you, know, you think to yourself, what what major Fed uh, meetings are, are left? And, and we have the meeting next week, another FOMC meeting in July, as well as the Jackson Hole Symposium uh, in late August. So we do expect, you know, the talk about tapering to occur at least in, in one of those uh, main meetings and you know we'll stay tuned to see uh, next week next Wednesday if that does mark any uh, change in the Fed's uh, rhetoric as well. Definitely some stuff to look forward to. So gentlemen fantastic speaking with you today and thanks for sharing your insights with our listeners. Hope you both have a great weekend and no doubt we'll be hearing from you on top of the morning soon. Absolutely have a great weekend. Thanks so much. Again, we have been joined today by Frank Saleo and Barry McAlinden, Senior Credit Strategist with the UBS Chief Investment Office. And as a reminder to our clients and listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office authors a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can be located on UBS.com slash CIO. For clients of UBS, you can also contact your financial advisor if you'd like to learn more about or receive a copy of any of the publications and blogs directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes and Spotify. Visit UBS.com slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the UBS trending video series. So from UBS Studios, I'm Griffin Murray, and thank you for joining us this morning. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.